You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Church in Huntsville, Ontario. Harvest Church is a community that exists to love God, love people, and make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at myharvestchurch.ca. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to, as the offering's still being taken up, grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be this morning, starting in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. Now, if you've ever been listening to a, a preacher preach a sermon, and he says this, he says, and finally, what do you know? You actually don't know anything because he could go on for another 30, 40 minutes, right? Have you ever been in those sermons where he says, finally, and he just keeps going? Well, well, here, as you get to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul brings out this word, finally. He says, finally. And, in, and he's landing the plane of this letter we've been in for, for a number of weeks now, this letter to the churches in Ephesus. And, and he's been unpacking throughout this whole book here, this good news of who God is, who you are in Christ. When you put your faith in Christ, who you are. And so just the whole way through the book, this gospel being laid out for us. Ephesians 1 to 3, just saying, this is the truth of the gospel. Ephesians 4 to 6 saying, and because of that truth, here's how you live it out. And, and so now he says, hey, because your identity changes, because your purpose has changed, your whole life has changed, he gets to verse 10 of chapter 6 and he says, finally, finally be strong. And, and he reminds them again as he says that, as he says be strong, he reminds them of the gospel he's been laying out for us because he doesn't just say be strong because that in and of itself is not super helpful. Just be strong. No, no, what's he say? He says be strong in the Lord. It's, it's your identity in Christ. It's, it's be strong in who he is and what? And be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Now, why, why is he wrapping this up? Why is he saying, be strong? What is there to be strong about? Now, now remember, we've just been talking about over the last few weeks, Paul is saying, hey, this is what your life looks like in your marriage, in your parenting, in your school, in your workplace. And he's saying, finally then, as you live out your life, just the, the regular day-to-day of life, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Why? Well, because marriage is hard, because parenting is hard, because home and school, it can be tough to live out your faith that that life is not just this, hey, come to Jesus and the rest of your life is like unicorns and gumdrops and cotton candy and then you skip off to heaven. We know that's not true, right? If you've lived long enough, you know that's not the truth of this, that life can be tough. It's going to be tough at work. It's going to be tough at school. It's going to be tough in our families, in our relationships, even in our church with the relationships we have. And so he says this, be strong in the Lord. Find your identity in Christ. Be be strong in him. Be, Be strong in his might. Not your might, but his might. And then he says this, verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Scripture is telling us that there's a, a battle going on, a deeper battle than what we see just around us, and this battle is real. 
I mean, so often we just look at the flesh and blood of life, right? We look at just what's going on around us, the stuff that we can see and hear and touch and all the things we interact with. But, but this is saying something so important for us this morning is this. There's something behind all of this. There's a spiritual battle. There's an unseen realm where Satan and his demons are trying to work something real against us. Scripture says there is a real enemy who's come to to do what? To steal, kill, and destroy. This battle is real. And Paul uses this war imagery. He says, put on your armor. He uses wrestling imagery. He says, we're we're wrestling here. And when he says wrestling, it's it's not like what we would think of when we think of Olympic wrestling or or WWE or, or even MMA wrestling, right? In the first century, when Paul says that we wrestle, the image that would be in the minds of these people is something that was just horrifically brutal. Wrestling in first century Rome was known for brutality. Injury and death were common. And that's the imagery Paul uses. He says, it's a war we're in. It's this wrestling that we're in. There's intensity to the battle. Now again, put it in context of what Paul's been talking about. People can grab a hold of these verses here and make something out of them that, that, that makes this whole spiritual warfare thing seem so weird and, and, and odd. And yet Paul's saying, no, 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 I'm talking about in your marriage, in your parenting, in your work, in your school, in your church, in your friendships. As a pastor and all the counseling I've done, I've never had someone walk in, in and, and, and say, hey, you know what? I just gotta talk to you because I've been wrestling with the principalities of darkness. No, what do we say? We roll in and we say, man, this is hard for me and my life has been difficult and this situation is hard. But what scripture is saying, there's something bigger and deeper than just the situations in our life that we have a spiritual enemy at work. And he's been at this job for a long, long time. And all he wants to do is to take you as a Christ follower away from trusting in and living for Christ. And so when you think spiritual warfare, maybe even think it this way. If you were Satan, how would you attack you? Like, okay, that makes sense. That that makes sense why I struggle with what I struggle with. That makes sense why why I'm wrestling with these things because I'm not wrestling against these people in my life. There's a, a force behind that, beneath that. I have an enemy and it's a battle. What's verse 11 say? It says that the devil has schemes. There's schemes. Satan's a liar. One of his schemes is to to lie and to deceive, to to deceive us about God, to deceive us about ourselves, about the world, about eternity. Scripture says that he's the father of lies. He's been a liar since the beginning. In in the garden, it was Satan who, who comes alongside Eve and says, did God really say? And then he misquotes God. Look around you, we can see how Satan deceives whole cultures to believe, to to start to call what is evil good and what's good evil. I mean, don't you see that around you today even? I mean, all the violence and perversion and and injustice and abuse and and our world is saying, this is good. And listen, listen, if, if you're the one to oppose it, what do they call you? They say, stop being so evil. Jesus says in John 10.10 that Satan comes as a thief to steal, kill, and destroy. But he says this, and I've come that you would have life, life to the fullest. 
So where Jesus is at work, listen, Satan is there to try to steal it. Where, where Christ brings hope, Satan is there to make us hopeless. Where, where Christ brings freedom from condemnation, Satan tries to keep us all bound up in shame and guilt. Where Christ brings us peace through the gospel and, and our reconciliation with God, Satan tries to steal us, to, to, to get us anxious and angry and alienated from God. Where Christ brings joy in the spirit, Satan tries to make us depressed and despondent in the flesh. Where Christ leads us to paths of righteousness for his name's sake, Satan leads us into sin for our destruction. Where Christ wants to give us purpose in life and, and have this eternal mission, Satan wants to get us so apathetic and so lost in the temporal of things. Where Christ is growing us as peacemakers, Satan tries to make us to, to cause conflict. I mean, it's a wrestling, a real wrestling, a very real battle. But listen, this message is not a doom and gloom message. There's good news in this text. Good news of real provision. That we have the whole armor of God that allows us to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. All through these verses, you see this, this victory language over and over again. You see Paul saying, so you can stand. You, you don't have to be defeated. So you, so you can stop the arrowed attacks of the evil one. So, so even though there is a wrestling here, even though there is a battle, there is victory. Again, again, listen, not victory in your own strength. This is not a call to try harder, do better, be stronger, cowboy up, pull up your bootstraps. No, no, here's, that's not the call. The call is this, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the strength that God's provided for you as his beloved. Now, I get it. It was a while ago when we started this series in Ephesians, but, but if you flip back, go back to just chapter one, just a couple pages back. And you read about the strength of the Lord. Look at verse 15 of chapter one. It says, for this reason, because I've heard of the faith, of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having your eyes opened, Sorry, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glory and inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Same words as Ephesians 6, you catch that? Uh, above what powers? Above all rule and authority and dominion. Raise them into the heavenlies. All the authority, all these demonic powers that Jesus is above them all. And that power, it says here, is at work in you as a Christ follower. That Jesus does this according to the power at work in us, he says in Ephesians 3, 20. Not our own power, not some inner strength that we possess, but by the power of God. Now, now you can say, okay, all this power stuff sounds great, Pastor Guy. But how do I actually stand in that power? I mean, the battle is real. The temptation is strong. I mean, uh, the difficulties are huge. My, my failures are many. And the battle seems to be nonstop. So how do I have this kind of strength? 
Now, I wish there was a, a shortcut here. I wish I gave you a, here's the little pithy prayer that you say. I mean, so often when it comes to spiritual warfare, people have the, here's the five-step way you get through. It's a secret plan of prayer, and you just do these five things or say these. And what we see here, though, is this strength is available to a believer who is leaning in to their walk with Christ, to follow closely with Jesus, that, that know him and love him and abide in him, cultivating life with him. When we lean on Jesus saying, Lord, how do you want me to walk this out? We're asking, Lord, what, what, are, what are the promises you've given me? What, what truth do you speak about this? Listen, there's no shortcuts in the Christian life. It is about a relationship pressing into the person of, of Christ, that we're called to be disciples, followers of Jesus. But the promise is this. When you lean in, as you follow him, there is this strength. There's an enabling grace promised to you that helps us stand. So victory starts with a strength that's not our own, but also you see in the text here, it's not just a strength that's not your own, there, there's an armor that's not our own. Look what he says in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And notice what it says, it doesn't say, hey, get your armor on. It says put on the whole armor of God. This is God's very own armor. This is God giving us his resources. This is Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is why you can say, I'm not afraid of the devil. Listen, he has ways and strength that can fight me in ways I could never win against him. He could handle me easily, but he can't handle the one to whom I belong. He, he can't handle the one who calls me his beloved. He cannot handle the one to whom I'm united. He can't handle the one who dwells in me. And so God says, hey, I have everything you need here. Take up my armor. Go in my strength. And this is so important. Listen, if you play hockey, you don't walk onto the ice with your gear bag, just kind of shuffle out there and just wait for the ref to blow the whistle. Game starting, you're like, oh man. And you're like hurrying as fast as you can to get your gear on while the other team is skating against you, right? I mean, game's over if that's how you play hockey. In the same way, a soldier doesn't stroll out onto the battlefield in shorts and flip-flops and says, hey, tell me when they start shooting and I'll get my Kevlar on. No, you, you suit up prepared. You anticipate the battle. You, you roll into your day with the truth of these verses ringing in your ear, your mind filled with this saying, okay, the battle is real, but here's my strength. So the question is this, then how do I actually put on this armor? I mean, it's a, a pretty popular passage. I'm sure you've heard it many times before. If you've grown up in the church, put on the armor of God. Well, what does that actually mean? We say it a lot. First, we have to understand that this is a metaphor, all right? This is not magic. It's not some little magical thing you've got where I've got this secret, magical, invisible armor. No, it's, it's a metaphor, but there are real truths in here. But, but it's, it's not an invisible breastplate and, and, and an invisible helmet. You show up at the workplace and Satan comes in to tempt you. You're like, not today, Satan. And you show him this secret, oh no, he's got the armor on. I can't get him today. And he sneaks off. Like that's not the armor of God, Right? So then how do we do it? How, how do we take hold of this armor? How do we put it on? This is the key to the whole sermon. It's this. Each piece of the armor has two parts to it. Something to be believed and something to obey. 
Each piece of the armor is something that we believe and something we obey. Let's unpack it. You'll see what I mean. So if, if Satan is a liar and most of his schemes involve lies, what, what armor do we have for that? Look at verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. You see verse 17, another piece of armor, and, and it says this in the second half of 17, having the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So, so, so when Satan comes at us with the lies that he comes at, we have this armor, the belt of truth and the sword of the spirit, the word of God. So you think of the belt, it, it was the centerpiece of the entire Roman armor. It held everything together. You take the belt off, you lose everything else. So what's the truth? What, what are we called to believe we're called to believe God's word. What God's word says about who he is, what God's word says about who we are, what God's word says about sin, that's what we believe. What do we obey? We come under that truth. Remember last week, I stood under that umbrella. What is that? Under the, the protection of God's word. So we say, hey, I believe this to be true, and so I'm putting my life under the authority of what God calls me to. John 8, 32 says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus makes it clear what that actually means, though. It's, it's a great political statement. People use it all the time. You'll know the truth. It'll set you free. No, Jesus says in the verse before that, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth. So it's not just a, a head full of Bible verses because Jesus is the truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the, what we believe, what we come under to fasten that belt of truth is to believe who Jesus says he is, centering your life around him and his words, surrendering everything to his lordship. And that belt holds that sword of the spirit, the word of God. So if you think about it, think how Jesus did battle in the wilderness against Satan. Satan spewed out lies at Jesus and Jesus replied every time with the same phrase. He said, it is written. It is written. He's saying, this is the truth of the word. This is the belt of truth. And so one of the best ways to have victory in this battle is to have some it is written's in your life. Like, like maybe identify that temptation or that lie that you get sucked into, that temptation you give into, and you search God's word for what he has to say in that particular area of your life. And listen, memorize it. Hide God's word in your heart that you might not sin against him. Now, this takes work. Like, well, Pastor Kai, why don't you just give us a list of verses for every single thing we might be going? No, part of the whole process of growing in this and getting the strength of the Lord is doing that work of going, I'm gonna dig into scripture. I'm gonna jump on biblegateway.com and type in the keyword of the thing I'm wrestling with. Man, fear, I just battle fear. What does God's word say about fear? And you find some of scripture, you study it, you memorize it, you put the work in to transform your mind with the truth of God's word belt of truth. Let's keep going. And in, in Revelation 12, 10, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. So, so he doesn't just attack with lies. He also attacks with accusation and with condemnation. And Satan is accusing all the time. And, and here's the thing. They're not always false accusations, are they? Like we give them plenty of opportunity to accuse so often there are real accusations where, where I did that. 
And, and he'll make sure he brings it up. Even if it's like a decade ago, he's going to be like, remember this? He'll condemn us with our failures, with our sin. Says things like, you did that? How do you think you could serve at this church? You know what you've done. What are you trying to be such a godly spouse for? I know what mistakes you've made. Why are you even standing up and telling people you're a Christ follower? How, how can you call yourself a son of God or a daughter of God? I know what you did. God will never accept you. Look at what you've done. Does it sound familiar to anybody but me? Like accusations, condemnation, a huge part of the ammunition, the schemes of the enemy. So what helps us here? Look at the next piece of armor. Verse 14. After the belt of truth, this is having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. Now, what do we believe in that? The, the Bible says that our own righteousness is like filthy rags before God. And so when Satan points out our sin, we can say, yeah, you're right, it's true. My sin's awful. But, but when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, his righteousness becomes your righteousness. Theologians would call it imputed righteousness. It's not yours at all, but Jesus says, I'll take your sin on the cross and I'll give you my righteousness. I mean, Paul says in Philippians 3, he says, I'm not looking for a righteous, righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that comes from faith in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, that God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to become sin on our behalf that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so when you come to faith, you come to the cross, put your faith in Christ, Jesus takes your sin and he gives his perfect record. It's credited to your account. So it's not just that you've been forgiven, but in Christ you have this standing of righteousness. I don't know if you've ever seen any pictures of Roman soldiers' armor and the breastplate, right? It's got like these awesome pecs and sweet abs, right? Have you ever seen that? Come on, if you were making your own armor, you'd make it look awesome too, right? You're like, this is, right, this is what I look like. And, and so here's what I, I think that means. If you think about imputed righteousness, it means no matter what kind of jiggle might be going on underneath that armor, from the outside, what God sees is Christ's perfect righteousness, that perfection that's been put on you. So when Satan accuses you, you can say, yes, I have done that, but I don't rely on my righteousness, Satan. I stand before God in the righteousness of Christ. And because of that, you can say Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Satan, you can accuse me, but I don't rely on my own righteousness because I'm in Christ Jesus. That's what we believe with the breastplate. So we're do we obey? We have Jesus' imputed righteousness. We've been justified in Christ. But listen, we also walk in the reality of that righteousness. That's what we obey. That, that, that righteousness given to us leads us by the power of the Spirit to now walk in sanctification, growing more and more like Jesus. And we begin to obey God and walk in righteousness. And when you do that, you remove so much of the enemy's ammunition. That yes, you believe who you are in Christ, but we also are growing and walking in sanctification, saying, God, with your help, I'm putting my sin to death so the enemy doesn't have any more opportunity in my life. 
Scripture says neither give place to the devil. Don't give him a foothold in your life. Don't give him that place where you're walking in unrighteousness. That's this open door where Satan says, I'm getting in there. I'm putting my foot in there, and I'm going to start working my way into every part of your life. Instead, you say, listen, that might be sin in my life, but Christ has paid for that, and so I'm going to walk in the righteousness I've been called to. Let's go on. Another piece of armor, verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We also have these shoes of the gospel of peace. Now, what do we believe there? Something to be believed is this, that you've been reconciled to God. You were an enemy of God. Now peace has been made and you're now a friend of God. That, that Christ loved you so much that he gave himself for you while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. That if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That as Hebrews says, we have a great high priest who's sympathetic with us. He was tempted in all the ways we are yet without sin so that we can go to the throne of grace and receive help and mercy in our time of need. So what do we believe with the shoes of the gospel of peace? We believe this, that, that when we sin, we have an advocate in Christ Jesus. That means he's our defense lawyer in the courtroom. And he's got a bomb-proof case to set you free. Here's the case. God's justice has been paid for. He took the price. He took the penalty. Justice has been served. So, so you walk out of that courtroom not worrying if, if more evidence might be found or if the judge might change his mind. No, you walk out fully free with the shoes of the gospel of peace. The only one who could condemn you is the one who now stands before you. And, and the, the one who could condemn you is the one who says, no, I died for you. I was raised for you. I now sit at the right hand of God interceding for you, far from condemning. The gospel of shoes of peace mean this, that sin can no longer condemn you. Your past can no longer condemn you. People can't condemn you. Satan can't condemn you. Listen, you can't condemn you. The gospel of peace means we're a freed people, a liberated people. The war between God and us in Christ is over. So this is what it means. We don't hide from God when we sin any longer. Instead, we run to him to receive his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. So when Satan attacks, this is the promise you believe as the shoes of the gospel of peace. I love what D.A. Carson says. He says, I'm not suffering from anything that a good resurrection can't fix. I love that. So what do we obey with this piece of armor? What do we obey with the shoes of the gospel of peace? Listen, we live out of the fact that we're beloved by God, that we truly have forgiveness. And those shoes move you forward with this good news of this gospel of peace to the world. I mean, if, if you watch a good movie or you eat a good meal or you find a hilarious meme, what do we do? We tweet it, we text it, we post it. We do everything we can to let everybody know about what, what we've seen. Listen, we have the greatest news ever. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that, we've been, that peace has been made between us and God. We have the hope of eternity. The greatest news ever. And if you want this truth of this piece of armor against the devil's schemes, we need to take this gospel with us. We take it with us into our marriages, into our workplaces, into our schools, into our family, out into our neighborhood. It's the hope of the world. It's, it's the, listen, it's the answer to the craziness we see all around us. 
It's the hope the world needs. More than a better government, more than better schools, more than a better media, our world needs the hope of Jesus Christ. And listen, if you commit your life to that, to the purpose of the gospel going forward in the world, you cut off a huge section of ammunition the enemy has against you and against our culture. I'm not saying the battle will be easier if you step out with the gospel. The battle might intensify but you walk out with the power of shoes of the gospel of peace. All right, verse 16 goes on. It says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. I like how this verse starts off with, in all circumstances. It's like he's reminding us, hey, don't take this armor off, like in all circumstances. Like, like don't be lulled into apathy because life seems good right now. Take up that shield of faith all the time. So what do we believe? What's the something to be believed the shield of faith? The shield of faith is saying, hey, take the word of God. Take the promises of God and say, this is true. This is better. The shield of faith is a bit like this. Like, remember when Jesus was, was teaching and, and he said something kind of weird and offensive where he talked about, if you want to follow me, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Talking about communion, but said it in such a weird way. I don't know why he said it that way, but he did. And everybody leaves. Like his church of thousands is like down to dozens after that. And, and he turns to his disciples and he said, are you guys going to leave too? Here's a shield of faith. Peter's saying, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. That's faith. That's saying, I'm believing in your promises. I'm clinging to your promises. Even though the enemy and my circumstances are trying to overwhelm me, I'm holding tightly to what you say, Lord. That's the active part of belief. That the obeying is holding on to these promises. There's something cool about the Roman shield. It was created in such a way that it was actually meant to be linked together to the person next to you. Have you ever seen the movie 300. I never have. I only watched Little House on the Prairie and <laughs> Left Behind movies. That's all I got. But, but for you pagans who have seen 300, remember, remember the scene, I mean, have you seen, I heard about it, like where all these shields go together, right? They come together and they all link up and they're like this one huge protected unit walking forward together. That's the picture of this Roman shield. Because here's the thing about believing and obeying in faith. Sometimes, listen, sometimes your own faith isn't enough to get you through situations. Sometimes you're going to face things that your own shield of faith, listen, it's just not going to be enough. Scripture is clear that there are battles that you are not meant to fight alone. So when your shield is all banged up, by the way, a busted up shield of faith is not a sign of failure. You hear what I'm saying? Like if, if you saw a, a guy walk in with this brand new shiny shield, you would not think they're a warrior. You'd be asking, is it Halloween? Are you going to a costume party, right? Like the first time I ever worked in construction, I showed up with my brand new work boots. Everybody knew, not just because I was a 140 pound little skinny 15 year old, but I got these brand new boots. Yeah, this guy's not experienced. So, so your shield, when, when your shield, if, if a warrior walks up to you and there's chunks taken out of his shield, it's all beat up and banged up. And, and it's just this kind of barely hanging on shield that's taken so many darts of the enemy. You're like, that's a warrior. So when you're feeling banged up and you can barely hold on to your shield, listen, lean into your brothers and sisters around you. Link those shields together. Call out and say, I can't stand on my own here. 
Listen, if you're wondering why we do small groups, why we have life groups, it's not because it's just the thing you do in church world. It's not for coffee and cupcakes and let's share some verses together. No, it's linking up shields, people. It's I can't do this on my own. And, and listen, if you feel like, no, my shield's good, I can do this on my own, then get into a small group because I need you in my small group. There are people who need your shields besides theirs. And we get to live out Galatians 6, 2, where we bear one another's burdens. That's the shield of faith. Something to believe and something to be obeyed. Verse 17 goes on. And take the helmet of salvation. What is that? The helmet of salvation. Listen, it's believing this. It's believing the truth of your salvation because Satan will do all he can to to get you to believe that God is untrustworthy and trials will come into your life and Satan will whisper lies where he'll say, this is the God you trust in. This is the one you believe has your eternity in his hands. You put your hope in this God. I mean, those are real wrestlings. And so we put on the helmet of salvation. What do we do? We believe in the security and the identity we have in Christ. It's reading Ephesians 6 where it says that Satan's going to attack as this spiritual force in the heavenly places. And we go, wait a minute, heavenly places. I remember that from Ephesians 1 where it told me that I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So when Satan lies to me and and tempts me and fights against me to say, how can you trust in this God? How can you know you have salvation? I can say, I've been blessed in the heavenly places. I, you, can, you can say Ephesians 1, 4 says, before the foundation of the world, I was chosen. Listen, before any of these trials even happened, God chose me and predestined me because of his love. So we can say to Satan, no matter what happens to me, listen, Satan, before you were created, I was the beloved of God. Security, identity in Christ, to be believed, what's to be obeyed, it's this, you live out of that identity. You live with the the hope in in, in light of the truth of God's salvation where where you see a lot of evil in this world, there's a lot of difficulty in our lives, but we say, the story is not over yet. I've got the helmet of salvation. I've got the hope of eternity. I've been given a greater eternal hope that 2 Corinthians 4 says that that God's not wasting any of these trials because they're producing in us an eternal weight of glory. And listen, Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, he's gonna open up a can on the enemy. He's going to right every wrong. He'll undo all the effects of evil in the world. He'll restore all things. And again, Ephesians 1 says we have the promise, the seal, the guarantee of the Holy Spirit, the promise of this. So we don't need to live in defeat about what we see. No, we live in hope because we know that Christ's finished work is true and he's coming again. And so we step out into our world with a message of hope. We live as though our salvation is real, that eternity is real. I think often we call ourselves Christians but live like we're atheists, as though God doesn't exist and God doesn't want to be involved in our lives. But listen, you are fearfully and wonderfully made by him. He knows you. He loves you. You can live your life fully dependent on God. Listen, not on your own strength, but depending on him, leaning into him for strength. As the worship team comes up, I'm also gonna call the ushers forward. We're gonna pass out the elements for communion. We're gonna respond to what we've heard in his word this morning with communion. 
As the ushers get ready, as they hand it out, it'll come by and, 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 and it, there'll be cups stacked on top of each other. Grab both the cups. The bread is in the bottom cup. But as that happens, listen, listen, let's not be distracted as, we've, as we come to this. Finally, as Paul says, <laughs> as you hold on to the cup, as you think about what communion is all about, Christ's death and resurrection for you, here's what I want us to do. Think about the temptations or the struggles you're wrestling with right now. Think about the lies that are being spoken over you. The lies you hear over and over again in your heart and in your mind. Think about that battle that's so real to you and maybe, maybe even the person sitting to the left and right of you wouldn't even know it, but that battle you're in. And, and then what I want you to do is think about this armor. And then ask yourself this, what do I need to believe today? What do I need to obey today? The struggle is real, but listen, the resources are also so real. There's victory in Christ. I mean, Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 15, he would say, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the victorious one. Flip to the end of the book, Jesus wins. It's why we celebrate communion. We celebrate communion to be reminded that sin has been put to death. It's been defeated, that, that Jesus Christ died in our place to take our sin, was buried and died, paid the penalty, but then he rose again and he conquered sin and death and conquered Satan. Listen, if you forget everything I've talked about the armor this morning, here's the thing I want you to walk out knowing that ultimately all of what we're talking about today is found in Jesus. Jesus is the truth. He's our belt. Jesus is our righteousness. He, he's our breastplate. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is the one in whom we have faith. He's our shield. Jesus is our salvation. He covers our head. Jesus is the word, the sword of the spirit. And so right now as you hold the cup and the bread. It takes some time right now to seek the Lord, to wrestle even now. What, what promises do you need to grab a hold of to stand firm? Take those battles to the Lord right now. And this morning, maybe for the first time that you begin to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. all the things we can face as a people, all the things we can face as a church, in our darkest times where, where our sin is exposed, where difficulties mount up. What's our hope? Here's one hope, that we would live our lives like Galatians 6.14 says, may I never boast except for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 
the only incorruptible thing in this so corrupt world is the love of Jesus Christ. And here's the good news. As you you think about the cross and his death and his resurrection on your behalf, the good news is this. Whether you've corrupted your world or whether you've just been affected by a corrupted world, we're all offered the same thing. We're offered the way this book ends. The last verse says, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So do you know the love of Jesus today? I don't mean do you go to church. I mean, do you know who Jesus is? Do you love him? Have have you surrendered your life to him? Because when you do, your identity changes. When you do, your life is different. Now, it takes time. It may not be overnight. But everything about you changes because who you are has changed. Why? Because the old is gone and the new has come. Because you were dead in your transgressions, but now you've been made alive in Christ Jesus. Not because you're awesome, but because he is. And that's what we celebrate together with communion. So join with me. It says on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body given for you. So let's eat together remember the sacrifice Christ made for our forgiveness. Let's eat together. It says in the same way he took the cup. He says, this is the cup. This is my blood poured out for you. This is the cup of, of new life, of the new covenant. And so we drink together as a celebration. Say, Jesus, you have won the victory. Yeah, the battle is intense still for me, but I drink this cup in in faith, knowing, Christ, you're victorious and your strength in me. Let's drink together. Would you stand with me as I pray, as we respond in worship? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for these amazing truths of your word. Thank you for your great love for us, an incorruptible love in such a corrupted world. And that because of your love, you've given us strength and protection to to walk, to stand, to fight, to not fall to the schemes of the enemy. Help us, Lord. Lord, you know each one of us intimately. You know where we're tempted. You know where we're accused, you know, where we're frauded by the enemy, you know, where we failed, and yet you're victorious. You know where we're giving up or giving in. You, you know where we've opened up our hearts and our lives through sin to, to, to give opportunity for, for the enemy to, to get into our hearts and our minds to, to mess us up and yet you love us still and listen the, that, that Lord we would, we would hear this morning that, that you are our help, our righteous, our strong tower. So God I pray you'd help us today by your spirit side by side with each other that you'd meet us in this place to give us hope and strength. We come to you today knowing that in you we find mercy and grace in our time of need. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are for us. And if you're for us, who could be against us? No weapon that's formed against us shall stand. Thank you, Jesus, for that. You're the great and victorious one in whom we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.